Welcome to How to Scale, the podcast by Frog Capital focused on helping software companies to successfully scale up. For more than 10 years, we have developed a solid understanding of the common challenges that scale-up companies face. With our group of operating partners, who have learned from years of experience, we have created the Scale-Up methodology, which brings together insights and tools to help improve companies' probability of reaching sustainable profitability. Each podcast looks at a different challenge that all companies will face on their way to scale. My name is Jens Düring. I'm one of the senior partners at Frog Capital, the investor focused on purpose-driven European software companies in the scale-up phase. Over the last 20 years, my own personal journey has led me to work in this space, challenging the status quo to identify better ways to tackle problems. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. Today's episode is focused on scaling in difficult markets with Mike Reed. Mike founded Frog Capital in 2009 and has been investing in businesses for over 20 years and overseen the sale and acquisition of over 50 companies in that time. In our conversation, we'll cover topics including reacting to volatility, how to align the board and shareholders, and managing changes with the team, among others. Mike, it's a great privilege to have you here with our podcast, particularly given your wealth of experience. And experience is certainly something that is needed in the current market. What is your take on the current state of the market and the challenges that we are seeing ahead for the coming quarters and month? Good to be here, Jens. Well, there's no doubt that it's a major crash. So whilst headlines may be extremely negative and people might get a little bit used to those negativity, it is negative. So people should be thinking very carefully about it. And I'm really looking forward to going through some tangible ideas of what people should be doing. So you have seen this crisis before. Is it unusual or is there some pattern that you have seen and, and that can be applied here? I think there's a clear pattern. You're right. I'm old enough to have seen the dot-com crash and, and also the global financial crisis crash, both of which were incredibly tough and rough. The first, particularly on the venture and technology scene, and obviously the global financial crash much broader. And in a way, as we look back, much more obvious. But at the time, it didn't feel that way. And we're having the same kind of feelings right now. And when you think back to those two crises that you've seen before, what were the differentiating factors for successful companies versus those that didn't make it? Okay, well, let's get into some of the detail. I mean, I think fundamentally, the ones that have reacted well in both of those and that will react well now are those that the leadership teams really step back and digest process that the environment has changed significantly, because that is surprisingly hard to do. And then to convey that in a open, confident and constructive manner to the rest of their teams, set out a process of change to really establish a new course and then go on that course confidently, as opposed to putting their head in the sand, being slightly optimistic, waiting for other people maybe to tell them what to do or to give them a nudge that things aren't quite as good as they should be, and then react too late, too fast and in somewhat of a chaotic manner. And that sounds all great in hindsight. Mm. We currently have an environment where there's a lot of uncertainty, where a lot of different voices will influence the entrepreneurs as well. How do you manage that? If we pick out the kind of easiest situations, it's either when there's clearly a crisis. So if a company is running out of cash in the next couple of months, then there's obviously a crisis. So that actually is not too difficult to deal with because you just need to go into crisis mode. 
The more challenging factor, particularly with the decent fundraisings we've had in the last three years, are there are plenty of companies out there are actually great companies and they've got a decent amount of funding. So it's those where realizing and actually processing course correction is toughest because it's actually easiest to just carry on as normal because you think it's going to be fine. Uh, And it may be fine. That's the point. It may be fine. But actually, you should be doubling down and doing a number of things we're going to go on to talk about now. Now, that's an interesting point, Mike, because there are, I think, as well, some really tangible to-dos and things to look out for. What are your top three tips? Well, clearly, the first one is cash. So we had that at the beginning of the COVID crisis. Luckily, it didn't really for most people, unless you were in the travel industry, really hit. Um, But that's the number one. So sounds simple, but actually, if you take it a little bit deeper, reforecasting with a different lens. So it's easy to go to your finance team and say, hey, let's have a quick reforecast. They'll tweak some stuff and give you largely the same forecast you saw in the last board meeting. But actually, you need a more granular view to say, hang on, we've got 100 clients. What's going to be the impact on our clients? This is a phase about the unknown unknowns. You know, there will be a proportion of those clients that you just didn't see it, but they were affected by something which meant they had to ring you up in four months time and say, sorry, we can't use your software anymore. So you need to go through that kind of level of detail to give yourself a much more conservative cash forecast. And of course, cash forecast going to what liabilities you might be taking on day by day now. You may be renewing contracts in your own business. You may be looking at hiring people, etc. So you should be, again, changing the temperature, not to a major negative one, but just a, a kind of confident, mature, okay, folks, we are in a different scenario now. So every important costly decision we need to take an extra lens on it straight examples would be for example hiring okay so clearly it's a competitive market out there hopefully it's going to cool down but there's no reason why you shouldn't be testing out more performance-based remuneration and keeping an eye on your salary levels so go for more bonus rather than a fixed salary and then also i'm talking to your shareholder base by saying right i want to increase the option pool because i want to uh, i want to win people and motivate them on something less cash draining than straight remuneration I think the recruitment and retention is actually a very important point, Mike, because we have seen the great resignation in the last year or so. So there's clearly an awareness of retaining staff being a key point. Have you seen a trend in your portfolio companies here towards people staying longer or is it going the other way? Are people resigning in droves? I think we're still a little bit early in that. I've maybe seen a little bit more loyalty, people being a bit more conservative about switching. And so ultimately as leadership team, there's only so much you can do to control that. What I think is really important is to double up on how you rate your team, who are your high performers, have a system ideally supported by, ideally you already have a system, but you know, a four box, five box grid in terms of the performers and the ones you're watching and ultimately go through those and really touch base with the people you want to keep. And whilst it may sound harsh, be a lot more decisive on those who you've got questions about. That sounds like a top tip. And we have seen that, I have to say, and Mm. I can see you're not in our portfolio, that decisiveness is already there. And that's, I think, is in development. And I find personally quite interesting that the crop of entrepreneurs at the moment seems to be more aware of those challenges, seems to be more decisive than certainly I've seen, and I've only seen one of the crises 10 years ago. Just uh, really good to see. 
one challenge that I can also see, and it would be interesting to hear your take on it, is there are still quite divergent voices. It's a divergent interpretation of the early data that we have right now, from alarmist to everything is fine. How do you coordinate a board that might give you very, very different direction? I think that's spot on for the next big theme for a CEO to be thinking about. If they're not contacting you already, every board member or shareholder will be thinking, I wonder what you're doing. So if you're not proactively doing something, they'll be wondering why. So number one is communication. I mean, nothing wrong, just call people. Just call people to say, right, you know, what do you think? Ask questions, have your list of key stakeholders, which will include obviously your direct board members, maybe some of your observers, some key shareholders are not on the board. And also there may be broader stakeholders like debt providers. And I would literally project manage a customer sort of stakeholder relationship program over the next two or three months, garner information, get a sense of where they're at maybe even book another call in with them in a couple of months time and then put together a program for them to say what are you doing so if they get asked to say okay what is mike doing as a ceo of so-and-so company that person will quickly say oh yeah he or she's really on it they've, they've got a five-point plan they've got a ten-point plan and that will basically make your life easier because if you don't do that you're going to get calls at some point and you're going to get kind of sort of torn one way or another the second point you allude to is alignment and arguably more important because when disalignment really starts showing its head, then the emotions start to get high and that's just unconstructive for everybody. So again, some companies have chair people, so real strong dialogue with your chairperson, have a game plan, have a communication plan, work out yourself where you think potential disalignments could be, and then get people around the table. Ideally face-to-face, -face, more communication about even things like socials and stuff like that are surprisingly important to build trusted relationships for when trickier conversations come to the table. Yeah, I think that's that's a very important point, Mike, because we could almost say that disalignment is inevitable and you will have it in both directions. You will have it with your existing team, your operational team, but you'll also have it at board level where particularly board members are further away. So communication is absolutely a key element there. But these opinions will also evolve as more data comes in, as they're influenced by more people. It's important to have constant communication and take actions here as you know. Yeah, because it's like like all situations, each investor will also be experiencing incredible potential change in behind the scenes that they may not be being totally open to you about. But if you're in a fund that itself has had a major issue, the dynamics around how you approach your remaining portfolio may change completely. And so you really need to spend time sort of thinking out of the box around how might the situation for one of your shareholders be changing a lot of listening, a lot of probing, a lot of intuitive thinking around how your key stakeholders are thinking. And that's a very good piece of advice because the key stakeholders will have different priorities to point it out. There was a podcast out with Oliver Holler from Speed Invest just in the last couple of days where he was asking his teams to rank their portfolio companies by potential to survive. So for an entrepreneur, it's important to understand where you actually sit in this and who you can rely on. What are the reserves that you have here for me? And then find this out and test it. And that's a good piece of advice for any entrepreneur. Mike, we talked about putting yourselves in the best possible position earlier. But right now we have a risk and uncertainty in the market. And this risk can go both ways. You can estimate the risk that are in the market and not be in the best position to take advantage on the positive side. 
that scenario is possibly not worthwhile talking about because then everybody is happy if you're better positioned than you thought. It's the other side where when things go even worse than you expected, where it's worthwhile talking about what are the risks in that scenario. We've realized that the situation isn't good. We've got our mindset kind of straight around that. We're communicated to our key stakeholders. Then there's this piece that you allude to around just looking further out and therefore making sure you make tough enough decisions or cuts the first time round. We've all been there when if there's a second or third round of redundancies, that's an absolute disaster for a company. Ultimately, employees want to know that there has been a bad situation. It's through and there's stability and, and a longer term sort of positive story. Dealing with anything else is, is just really, really tough. Then the other pieces around coordinating fundraising in a complex environment. And that clearly is about my point around getting people around the table, understanding and agreeing on the need, aligning kind of what the solution is. Then you're going to get some challenges around people trying to, particularly on down rounds, and maybe protect evaluation with structure and other legal terms. Ultimately, as a founding team and, and CEO group, we would aligned to simplicity as much as possible. So whilst a headline drop in valuation is incredibly uncomfortable, ultimately hiding that drop through some kind of multiple liquidation preference or exploding or guaranteed returns is just pushing the problem further down the line and getting on the same basis around simple as possible, remunerating the management team reasonably, getting the key contributors to your investment round remunerated maybe causing some pain for shareholders who are not contributing, but that's just the way life is. And then ultimately doing the most important thing is getting the team funded onto a new level so you can get some stability. So Mike, you talked about the scenario when you need more funding than you thought and down rounds and other risks there. When should you go out and talk to your shareholders as an entrepreneur? Is it when you only have three months left or would you go out further? Would you even go out now and ask for an extra element of cash? Dialogue as soon as possible, really work together with the individual to try and get a sort of trusted advisory relationship so you can really check in where the fund is and ultimately help that person guide you on how best to manage them. The next piece is, in my view, not going to be particularly pleasant to hear, but ultimately funds don't like doing things until absolutely pushed. So Unfortunately, it's my recommendation that actually you need to kind of create more of a crisis earlier in the process than maybe they're leaving it to the last minute. So what will not happen, in my view, is that a group of shareholders will get round the table proactively well ahead of time and deal with some really contentious issues like diluting a single party who's not contributing to the round. That is just majorly uncomfortable to do in a reasonable setting. So as a CEO, my recommendation would be to create some kind of level of crisis feeling earlier in the process, whether that be genuine worries around people leaving the company, clients starting to ask questions, serious issues, you need to really raise them to the board and to the shareholders and make sure that they are clear and set a clear timeline 
to actually bring to resolution and weekly meetings to thrash out challenges because there will be the normal negotiation process of people standing their ground and not wishing to give on anything and they ultimately need to relay to their bosses that they have held their ground as much as possible they have fought the corner for the fund but ultimately they need to be compromised they need to go through that and you need to help them go through that to ultimately get to where you want to and there's another element of what I'm currently doing with my portfolio company, which is the scenario planning. So you look for different scenarios, good, bad, worse scenarios. And out of that comes usually a small cash need. And now is a good time to do a small top up, accept your last funding valuation, top up the round with a small amount, two, three, four million euros to give you that extra cushion and to take out some of the bad scenarios and have a cash need. Not the worst one, but to give you a longer runway. In your portfolio, and I know that we at Frog have companies that tend to be funded to profitability, but how long is the runway for your companies that are, have a scenario where they might run out of cash? The shortest one we have is one year, but even in that company, we are already scenario planning. And what I think is really key in all of those conversations is to realize that ultimately people in venture capital are typically optimists. They're not debt providers and bankers. And so therefore, there will likely be a kind of feeling around the table of, yeah, it's probably going to be okay. You can make that through. That client will come on board. So it's one of these strange situations where I think particularly the partnership between the CEO and the CFO is going to be critical. If you've got a really strong CFO, they will out now. They will really be a, a strong partner for you as a CEO to say to your stakeholder group, look, we are doing and have done these following things to make sure we are as tight as possible to succeed in the future. We now need flexibility and compromise from the shareholder group and we need X and we need to set a process for, for getting agreement on getting that X. If you'd like to see content from Mike, he has written several great pieces available at frogcapital.com slash scaling in tough markets, as well as many other scale-up insights and toolkits from our Frog operating partners. In the next episode, we will focus on scaling a business sustainably, talking to Stephen Dunn, Frog's head of portfolio and one of Frog's senior partners. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. And finally, thank you for listening. We welcome all feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for us to cover in future episodes. So please email howtoscale at frogcapital.com. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, sign up for the podcast at frogcapital.com slash podcast. Proc invests in purpose-driven European software scale-ups, making a positive impact on society. We look for businesses who have reached product market fit and are generating over 3 million euros of annual recurring revenue, what we see as a characteristic of the scale-up phase. It's a stage where businesses are continuing the path of positive growth, a purpose-driven route to sustainability and profitability. Our own purpose is to help scale the most exciting purpose-driven software companies in Europe. We do this with both capital and our in-house team of operating partners who work closely with all the companies we invest in to overcome the inevitable challenges scale-ups face.